Well, uh, happy Father's Day. It's great to be with you on a day that's not a church holiday, uh, but it's a day that we can redeem and enjoy the joy of being called children of God because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us as much uh, as we could ever imagine or hope for. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, it's always good to start off when you're a preacher, tell a joke. So I'm going to tell a joke uh, to start off, just to lighten the mood here a little bit. No, I'm I'm teasing, uh, but uh, so how do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? When it becomes a parrot. All right. Okay, good. All right, good. There are people out there. It's good. I can hear it. Um, but uh, I, I really am excited about sharing with you when Derek asked me to preach on this particular day, um, Father's Day. I immediately thought about Galatians 4, where Paul is thankful that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts by which we say, Abba, Father. That's Galatians 4, 4 through 7. <clears throat> but then the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, uh, I came to John 17. Um, it's a great prayer, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, but I really wanted to uh, really share with you verse 26 in John 17. It's the last verse. So let's just think for a second, though, about Jesus' prayer. We're in the upper room. Most of you know that. And this is the last meaningful interaction Jesus will have with his disciples before he goes to the garden. Uh, last time they'll really talk or be together. And they hear him pray this prayer and think what it would have been like in those early days, uh, to be talking about that prayer. Let's go back over what Jesus prayed for. Uh, a lot of times people will say to me, how can I pray? And I'll say, pray John 17. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get much better because we're praying Jesus' prayer like we pray the Lord's prayer. Uh, but I want you to see particularly verse 26. But we're going to start reading in verse 20. Now, one of the church fathers, John Chrysostom, uh, talked about this prayer when we begin at verse 20 because Jesus starts to pray for us, those who will follow the apostles. And the whole idea here uh, is this church father said, how encouraging it must have been to the disciples to realize that they were going to be used to bring new people to Jesus, to God. And they would see the fulfillment of this prayer. So let's listen to John 17. Jesus is praying here. Verse 20 through verse 26. I do not ask for these only, the, the apostles that are there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me and I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Uh, let's pray for a moment. Let me encourage you now just to be still and, uh, and know God is here uh, for us. Uh, that Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. So just quietly pray for yourself to uh, hear Jesus' voice today. Now take a moment and pray for someone near you, for your family that's here, um, that they could hear the voice of the Good Shepherd today. Oh, pray for me that I can hear Jesus' voice as I'm speaking to you, as I'm thinking through what I've prepared, that his voice will come into my mind and heart, and I can speak the word that he's given me for you today to hear. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, the cohort that I'm uh, in with, uh, Derek, um, we're reading some books by a man named Pete Scazzaro, and he's a guy who's got an amazing story. He pastored a church in Queens, New York, called New Life Church that grew phenomenally. But he's developed a whole ministry called the Emotional Healthy Spirituality Church Leader. And the big thing that he does is he really takes people into a deep dive of what it means to know God and to know themselves. John Calvin says you really know God when you know yourself in these beginning institutes and you know God. Once you know yourself, then you really are positioning yourself to like understand how God knows you. Uh, but uh, one of the exercises that Pete Zero puts you through is to say, write down your family history, your geneogram. Uh, and to do that in a way of go back one generation, but actually go back five generations. Just so think about if you had to go home tonight for your homework and you'd come back tomorrow and we're going to have Trinity uh, Summer, uh, BBS, or whatever, and you're going to come back and you're going to bring your geneogram of five generations of your family, you know, mother, father, side. And, but here's the thing is describe what they were like as people. Now, for some of us, that'd be really hard to get even past the first generation, much less, you know, get to the fifth generation. But he wants you to understand how generational sin has affected you right now how generational relational style has affected you right now. So um, just to give you a quick example, I, I grew up in a family where uh, there was a lot of brokenness, a lot of sadness, a lot of loneliness. Um, on my mother's side, she was an only child. Uh, and uh, her father died when she was 16 years old which basically threw her into poverty with my grandmother. And they had to figure out how they're going to make things work. And so my grandmother scrambled, moved her to Hablock, North Carolina, which I was born in Newburn. That's where my parents meet many years later. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, my grandmother went to work on the base, Cherry Point Marine Corps Air Base, right there. And that's how they made it through. But they lived in abject poverty. So that's, that's my mom, Betty Godwin or Betty Roundtree. My dad grew up in the low country, uh, South Carolina. Uh, and uh, his father, Clyde, uh, was worked in a sawmill, ran a sawmill there. Uh, when uh, Clyde was 25, he decided to get married. And so uh, he found a family that would let them marry uh, their daughter. And her name was Essie. 
and she was 15 years old. He was 25. So this is way back when. So that's how they start off. And they were a hoot character, but my grandfather Clyde would die uh, when uh, uh, my, I think I was three years old. So he was only 52. So he was young. Uh, but if you looked at our family tree, and I told you stories about it, you'd see a lot of brokenness, sadness, poverty, loneliness, alcoholism, bankruptcy. I mean, unbelievable. So here's my mom and dad coming out of these two families. They get married. It's post-World War II. It's right in the early 50s. I'm the first of five. Uh, my mom says she's always wanted a big family, so she has five kids in six years. And one of those years was a miscarriage. So she was ready to have a big family and she grew up an only child. So you could imagine what it was like when she began to realize I'm trying to raise five little kids, four boys and a girl. And she had no clue. And here my dad is, he's working all the time, trying to provide for his family. And he goes to work and he disappears and he shows up late. So I grew up in this family of just total chaos. My mother's very unhappy. She's sad, she's crying, she's angry, she yells a lot. Uh, I mean, I could just keep going and just tell you, but here's the big thing about my family, which is a defining thing to understand uh, me, is, is that both my parents were very stoical. Uh, although we had a lot of pain and sadness and loss, they just didn't talk about pain and sadness and loss. They didn't talk about feelings. They didn't talk about emotions. And so I felt very disconnected from them when I was old enough to figure out something is really wrong in the dynamic of our family. I was affected profoundly by their sadness, their loneliness, um, and just their depression. They were depressed. That's what I grew up in. And so... Uh, that's a little bit of a taste, but here's what I want to encourage you about today is that when you start thinking about your family of origin and what your family origin says about you and what you've inherited in the generational sin uh, that you live in is to think about where is your true family of origin? Where do you start? Where does your story start? Well, it starts even before the world began because your family of origin is in the Trinity. That's a great name for a church, don't you think? Uh, it starts in the Trinity. Oh, my goodness. So if I was talking with Pete Cicero, and I'd say, Pete, really the way to start this, you want to get help people see their brokenness, sadness, generational dysfunction. But if you really want to help people, talk to them about their true family of origin, which is in the Trinity. And we're gonna when that's what we're gonna look at today. And so when we look at this today and we think about the Christian name for God, which is Father on Father's Day, and for you and me, what does that name Father do for us? How does it register? How do we respond to the idea that God is our Father? <laughs> J.R. Packer in his famous book, uh, Knowing God, has got a great chapter. So if you want to take a deep dive on this afterwards, um, there's a chapter on the sons of God. But today I want us to talk about the same love that God had for Jesus is ours, and also a shared love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had, which we now get to be a part of. So the same love and the shared love. But I want us to go down and look at verse 26 
And here's where I want us to take a deep dive here this morning. This is right where Jesus uh, ends his prayers. He says, I've made known to them your name, which is what? Father. <laughs> I've made known to them your name, which is Father. Now, when you look in, the, in this prayer, John 17, uh, Jesus refers to the Father as righteous Father and holy Father, but also as Father uh, in, the, in the prayer. I've made to, known to you uh, your name, and I will continue to make it known. Now, this should encourage you very much. I mean, one of the things you have to realize about being a follower of Jesus is that we are sheep. And one of the characteristics of sheep, we're not too smart, okay, as much as we want to pride ourselves. And we forget. <laughs> we forget that we belong to God. We forget that God loves us as much as he does. And so there was a question that was posed to Martin Luther where they said, why do you preach to your people on the love of God every week? And he goes, because they forget it every week. <laughs> and if we're honest, isn't it amazing how quickly we can be moved, inspired, exhilarated, worshipful, and within moments, it's like it never, ever happened. We forget. We forget his benefits. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. But we're forgetful. And this should encourage you today because hearing me preach on this today is a reminder to you that maybe you've forgotten. You've forgotten the gospel in a way that it really inspires, exhilarates you, and helps you today. Jesus has prayed that you will hear it again. One of my seminary professors loved to say when he'd hear the gospel preach, he'd go, I think I remember forgetting this before, okay? I think I remember, so when you hear the gospel, you hear the sweetness of this invitation of God's love for you, think about what it reminds yourself. When did I remember that? And it really, really helped me. Well, one of the things that should encourage you today is that in this prayer, uh, Jesus is inviting you to return to your true story. And, in, and what does that mean? What does it mean to your true story? So we look at verse, I'm going back up to verse 22. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So if we were to do a little test here, you and I are go out afterwards for dinner, uh, which I'm not available tonight, but anytime you want to take me out, uh, you can. Um, and I would say to you, what is the glory that God has given you? What is it? What is the glory that God has revealed to you that's personal, real, transformative, day in, day out, I dwell on the praise of his glory in my story. Um, there's a guy that I follow in a podcast that I really love, and he tells his story about being in a point in his journey with Jesus where he was really discouraged, depressed, but he had a marvelous conversion story of how he had met Christ. And yet, he was depressed more often than not, discouraged, kind of an Eeyore kind of person. And he gets up and speaks to about 250 people. He tells his story. It's a great story, but people can tell it's a great story. But why? if it's such a great story, why are you so sad? <laughs> why are you so, eh, you know, kind of thing? Um, and so afterwards, one of his good friends says to him, Ian, are you living in the wrong story? 
Now, if we're not careful, when we slip out of our following Jesus, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, we start to live in our own story, then we begin to miss out on the glory that God wants for us on a daily basis. He wants us to live in the glory of his story for us. So if I was to ask how many of you have been in a play where you had to memorize lines and all that, some of you have been in plays, and if you haven't, I hope you get to do it here when we have the uh, Trinity No Talent Show, and we'll have a a couple skits on here, uh, and you have to memorize some lines. Um, But when you think about what it means to be in a story, God has written a script for each one of us to live out. You know, we just read in Ephesians 2, he has written a story for us to live. He has prepared us for good works. It's scripted. You have a scripted story to read. You discover it through the book, through fellowship, through prayer, through community. But God wants you to discover the glory of this story. For God so loved, put your name in right there. One of the things I love to do, encouraging people as pastors and they're down, I'll say, you need to know this. You are so loved. You are so loved. Now, sometimes it's hard to get there. They're not ready to hear that, but I keep wanting to say it to them. You are so loved. You're so loved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, uh, he gave his only son. Now, what is the glory that Jesus is talking about here? Because we don't have the time, but if you read some commentaries, you'll see where this comes from, is the glory that God's given to you is the glory of Jesus' work on the cross for you. If I was to sit down with you and start to help you know Jesus better, we would talk about what the cross means to us as the source of our glory. That my sin is nailed to the cross, not in part, but the whole, and I bear it no more. So one of the ways you can answer this question today is, what is your glory? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus dying on a cross for me where I see the love of God for me that is just staggering, unbelievable. And can it be that I should gain an interest? And can it be that I would be loved like this? In this training discipleship material that I'm familiar with, one of the things we talk about is that in your journey and your story, that one of the things that should be happening is that the cross should be getting bigger in your story. Now, for most believers, because we live in a a difficult world, things are hard, things are coming at us fast. We get concussed by life. We have concussions, spiritual concussions. We forget, and the cross starts to shrink. The meaning and the beauty of the cross, rather than getting bigger and more beautiful and more powerful, is we lose sight of it. So one of the things I want you to think about with the Father with your small group, with your friends, is is the cross getting bigger here at Trinity? Are we seeing more of its power? And here's one of the things that you can, again, think about, is because Jesus has prayed, is that you would know that the glory he has revealed to you is something he wants you to boast in. So when you get down, discouraged, stuck, feel lukewarm, feel flat, Think about the cross and begin to think about ways that the cross comes to you with real power. 
Boast in the cross to your own soul. Boast in it to your family. For all of you here who have children, are you teaching your children about the power of the cross to help them obey? To want to obey. To want to honor you. To want to live a life. Are you helping your children see that at the cross, something happened there which makes them so loved, so accepted, and sets in motion the power to change and be different? Our son, Luke, we have three children who are now you know, up there, but Luke is 42, um, and he's in Philadelphia area. We have a daughter, Anna, she just turned 39, daughter, Claire, 36, and six grandkids. But when Luke was 14 years old, he and his sister did not get along. So Luke, Anna, Claire, Luke and Anna did not get along. And I had been reading my Bible, and, and uh, Luke complained and grumbled about um, Anna a lot. Uh, and so I was reading in Philippians 2 where it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. I thought, man, these are great verses. I think this will really help Luke. And so Luke was laying in bed. He was getting ready to go to sleep. I said, son, I have got some great verses here for you to help you with your sister. And I read them to him and he looks at me and goes, dad, that's impossible. <laughs> Now, because I was not in a good theological frame at that point, because I was saying, here's good stuff, you do this, and you're going you're gonna to love your sister so much better. But he was right. Without the cross, it is impossible. You can't follow and do what God wants you to do unless the cross shows you your need today, right now. I need Jesus. I need you to help me. Because apart from you, I can't do anything. So when Jesus is praying for us to know the same love that the Father had for him, because in that love he reveals his glory, he wants to reveal to us the power of the cross to change us. So what does that look like? It looks like you and I learning to pray day in, day out, not my will, not my way, but your way be done. Now, to your flesh, your flesh does not like that. <laughs> You want to either think you can do it or you go, that's not going to happen. Likely you go, that is impossible. But if the Spirit's working in you, you know, I know where to go to get the help I need. I need to meditate on Jesus' death on the cross for me, get back into Romans, Galatians, and realize that the cross has the power to change me. Because when Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything, that's truth. But how does he make it possible for us to do what he wants to do through us? He teaches us how to die to ourselves. How to die to ourselves. So I'm going to give you a quick illustration of that. So uh, I'm now at the age in my life, my ministry, where it used to be when I was younger, like Derek, uh, and not as good looking, but I was young, as young as Derek. Um, I would um, do a lot of weddings. A lot of people would ask me to do their weddings. I love to do weddings. I'm now at the stage where a lot of people ask me to do their funerals, okay? Uh, but back when I was being asked to do uh, weddings, there was a young woman who came to Hope right down the road here. And she had been a single for a long time. And so in her early 40s, uh, she met... Uh, <clears throat> this guy, and I had the privilege of doing her wedding, and so I'm doing their premarital counseling, 
And we're talking about it, but she's dreading her. Now, she's always wanted to be married. She's dreading her wedding day because she, it just is stirring up all this stuff. And I said to her, what, what are you afraid of? And she said, I'm afraid I'm going to start crying and I won't be able to stop. And I'm going to draw all this attention. I'm going to mess my whole wedding up. And so, you know, I've taken that on. I'm feeling like, oh, my gosh, I want to help you get through this. I don't want to mess it up. I want it to be a great wedding for you. You wanted this. This is awesome. Hope Church is packed. She's here. Lo she's from here locally. All these people come. He's from here locally. All these people show up for the wedding. And so it's the day of the wedding. And I'm staying in the foyer. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. And so I'm starting to figure out how to get it all right so it's a perfect wedding. And immediately the Holy Spirit says, you cannot do this unless Jesus helps you. And so I confess, I pray, Lord, I don't want to mess this up. I do not want to mess this up, but I can't do it unless you help me. Um, and I just remember having one of those moments where the Spirit is just so real to me. So here's what happens. We walk in uh, as the wedding is started. I'm standing up front with her her uh, groom and, uh, you know, and I get the joy when you do a wedding and you're standing like right here, and this is the center aisle, you see the bride coming down, just a beautiful scene. And usually the groom's over here crying, <laughs> you know, he's crying, but you're seeing her smile. She's coming straight up to you uh, with her dad. And it was just, it was, it was just wonderful. All right, so we get up there. And I really, I do great weddings, folks. So if you need weddings, you know, I, I am really good at doing weddings, okay? And I, I'm, I'm amped up. I'm ready to go. I got a big smile. And so she comes up, her dad, her groom, they're both standing there. And I say, we want it. we're here to worship today. I want to welcome all of you. And I'm so thrilled for it. And I say your name and I look at her and guess what happens? I start weeping. <laughs> I mean, I just start crying like a baby. I was happy for her, but all that, her fear of messing it up and crying and all that stuff, I don't show emotion like that publicly. I don't, I, I don't do that. And I know it can mess everything up, but on that day, at that moment, Jesus was going to show up and help me weep in such a way that it took away her fear of weeping. <laughs> And we had a glorious wedding. Now, again, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. The way is protect yourself. Play it safe. Don't die to yourself. Don't get lost in his love for you. Because if you get lost in his love for you, it will change you. Because there's one thing that will help you get lost in his love. And that's to meditate on his glory at the cross. Because at the cross... Jesus displays his love for you and me in a way. When he says, when he prays this, listen to how he says, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. How did the father love the son? He sent the son because when they said, who will go for us? Father, son, Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'll go. <laughs> you know, and he sent the son to be the sacrifice, to be the perfect son, that when all that was accomplished, everything that's wrong in this world was defeated. The ultimate victory over death, sin, hell, what's wrong in this world happened on that day. 
and Jesus got to do it for us. Wow. Amazing love. How can it be that God would show his love for me that way? So here's what I want you to see here is Jesus has prayed that the love that the Father has for you will help you want to know more about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because as you meditate and think about the finished work of Christ for you, it's you're going to come alive. It's going to change you. You're going to want to be different. Because when you enter into the finished work of Christ, and you say this, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. We all want power, right? But he says, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know, Jesus, how you're suffering for this family, for this people. And I want to know how you're feeling about them. There is a friendship with Jesus like no other. And that's why we are church. This is why... Trinity is a great embassy uh, for people who need to know I can get free from the slavery and the oppression of what I live in. You're an embassy of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven. And so people can come here and hear, I can be free from my slavery to this or that. But I want to become like you, Jesus, in your death. You see, to really unleash the love of God in you, means that you have to die to your selfish, self-righteous self. And if you'll go there with his help and by his spirit, this prayer gets answered. <laughs> It'll free you up. It'll change you. So let's go back to starting Redeemer, early 80s. Some of you know the Lighthouse restaurant. It closed down. Pray for me. I still grieve the loss of the Lighthouse there on Burke Street, uh, Brookstown and uh, Burke, uh, and um, but I was at a meeting of our leaders in our church, and I'm sure Derek never complains and whines about his leadership in the church, but I was complaining about the giving, the lack of volunteers, all this, and so, uh, and going on, and one of my good friends who had become an elder in the church, he said, you know, Clyde, we've heard a lot about the fellowship of Clyde's suffering. Um, could we hear about the fellowship of Jesus' suffering? Now, everybody laughed at my expense, but it was a Holy Spirit. Boom. <laughs> you know, it's just like all of a sudden I went, oh, yeah, Jesus really is suffering for our church. He understands why people are struggling to commit, to volunteer, to give, whatever. And once I began to understand that, then Clyde could die to his demand or false expectations of what life should be. So I want to back up the bus here to parenting. Okay, I want to really help you today for those of you who are parenting. Um, how do you help your child know the love of God for them in Jesus Christ in a way that the cross makes sense? How does it help your daughter or son realize, oh, this is the joy of obedience. I get to show God what love is like. What it means that I understand that when Jesus died for me, I'm no longer living for myself, but to do what he wants me to do because I want to, because I'm thankful, because I'm grateful. I get to do this. I get to do this. And then you're shepherding your child's heart because 
what your child needs the most is Jesus. <laughs> and the thing that is the emblem, the illustration of that is what does the cross mean for them? So a verse that you can memorize with them is Galatians 2.20, which some of you memorized. I've been crucified with Christ. Glory. That is so much glory. And for me to say that, a proud, self-righteous, stubborn sinner, I tell people the scholar, uh, scarlet letter A on my chest is for arrogance. I'm often wrong, never in doubt. Okay? Okay, so that's my A. I'm arrogant as the day is long. If my wife was here, she'd say, amen. Preach it, brother. Preach it. You know, I live with you. I know it's true. Okay? Uh, so, but here's, here's the amazing good news is that, but the real A on my chest is I'm an adopted son of the Father. I've been adopted so that I don't have to be a prisoner to that arrogance because there's only one person who's right, who knows the way that I should go, and that's Jesus. So I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. <laughs> Same love that the Father had for the Son is now in me. And so I need to hear you tell me about the power of the cross. I need to hear it. I need to want it. Want it. I need to desire it. And when I'm around people who are talking about repentance and healing and the need for the cross, I light up like a Christmas tree. I'm like, whoa. This is so good because this is what Jesus prayed. Because again, I encourage you to look at this. You know, th this is so rich here, but the interaction of the glory, the Father's presence, the Father revealing himself through his Son, but the way he's revealed himself to us perfectly is through the cross. Through Jesus dying in our place, loving us, and then showing us the way. The last thing to think about in this is that why, you know, why would God create us and make us? Uh, what does that have to do anything with, did he make us to want to worship? Did he make us to, because he needed servants? Did he make us because he wanted admirers? He brought you into this world because he wanted to share with you the joy and the love and the delight that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share together. One being and three persons who are so in love with each other, so full of delight and joy there in their communion. And this is on human terms. They want to share it. And they want to share it with you and me in Trinity Church. They want to share it. And so this same love becomes a shared love. And then we want to make a difference in this world because we want to share with people delight, joy, freedom, forgiveness, hope, all those things. You see, not only living in the right story is so important, but it's living in the right prayer. Um, a good friend of mine who became a phenomenal uh, missionary in East Africa, did unbelievable things, was a very self-righteous, difficult uh, pastor, and he came to this retreat, and my friend who was leading the retreat just saw how full of himself he was. And at some point, they're in a meeting in a coffee room, and 
my friend just turns to him and says to him, basically, um, says, John, who prays for you? Who prays for you? And he said, as soon as he said it, he started weeping for this guy. And this guy starts weeping. <laughs> and they start weeping over his brokenness, his self-righteousness, his lack of humility, his lack of whatever. And out of that question, this prayer became really powerful for this guy. That he began to look at this and go, the same love that the Father had for Jesus, he has for me. And how is that possible? Because of the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for just the opportunity to just take a, a look at what you've done for us in a way that we uh, desperately need to experience and hear and respond to Jesus, forgive us how quickly we forget, how quickly we doubt, how quickly we just find ourselves cold-hearted, and yet you're so patient and gentle and kind with us, and you forgive us so quickly and freely when we turn. So, Father, may this prayer become our story this week, may it become the prayer of the children uh, at Trinity for the families that they're learning to live in the power of the fulfillment of this prayer. And children would have a new joy in trusting you and living for you because it's changing their parents and changing them and their family, Jesus, we pray. Amen.